It's Saturday, December 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Hope you had a nice Christmas and that you are enjoying Boxing Day. Wanted to do a little something extra this week as a small tribute to a legend in the world of financial media, and that's Clark Howard. For more than 30 years, Clark Howard has been helping people save money and make smarter financial decisions with his radio show that is syndicated to 250 stations across America. He's a best-selling author. In 2015, he was inducted into the National Radio Hall of Fame. I can't think of anyone in the talk radio industry that I respect more than Clark Howard. He's smart, he's on the side of consumers, and he's even more generous in person than he is on the air. He's also retiring from his daily show at the end of this year, which is why I wanted to share a conversation I have with him that aired on Motley Fool Money back in 2013. Clark was at an event in Florida, so you're going to hear some background noise. He had a new book out called Living Large for the Long Run. So we talked about that. We also talked about a money-saving tip he had given me a couple of years earlier that I didn't think was going to work, and you'll hear me eat some humble pie on that one in this conversation. But we started with the new book, which he opens with a story from his own life when he was in college. And Clark had an experience with money that made a huge and lasting impression on him. Well, it's funny because I thought I was growing up rich. And my family lived a very high-octane life, very fancy life. And as best I knew, we wanted for nothing. And then my father lost his job, almost a scenario like so many of us have seen in the last several years he loses his job and it turns out that they were living on fumes my parents hadn't saved any money and the funny thing looking back now is that i was clueless what was going on i was off at college at the american university in washington i'd come home for thanksgiving And we were at a family Thanksgiving dinner, and everybody was so solemn, and there was like a sadness. And I was like, what's going on? Somebody is dying. Something's really awful happening. And sure enough, after dinner, my dad asked me to stay at the table, and he says, I have some terrible news for you. And I'm like, okay, here it is. I'm going to find out my dad's dying. And he says, I need to tell you, I lost my job. And I start smiling ear to ear, and he says... What are you smiling about? I said, well, I thought you were dying. And, and, he, and he smiles. And he says, no, I'm not dying. I just don't have any money. And I said, what? And he said, there's no money for you to go back to college in January. And I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, because we lived in a big, nice house, and my parents drove nice cars, and they took these wonderful trips. And so I thought they were just loaded. And it turned out they just were obligated. And that event in my life, my parents eventually got back up on their feet. It took them about three years. They ended up okay. But that event changed the way I lived my life and the rest of my life. I had to go back to school, register as a night student, got a job working full time. It was still the tail end of the war in Vietnam, and I got a job working for the Air Force as a civilian employee. And I would go to work all day long and then go to school at night. But I was able to pay my own way and get through college. And for me, it turned out to be 
a defining moment and one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life. You talked about your dad. He worked uh, for a stretch of time on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. What did he teach you about money and in particular about investing? Well, when he was a young man, he did work on the floor of the exchange. He always loved investing. And I'm in elementary school. He's teaching me how to read stock tables when other kids are learning how to read box scores for baseball. And so I, from a very young age, was taught about investing. And one of the things I did with my father after he lost his job, eventually got back up on his feet, I started investing with him. We set up a company with some non-family members and my father and me, and we did investing doing private placements in companies and investing in small, relatively unknown companies. This was before computers, before anything other than reading and research and word of mouth to be able to figure out what you should be investing in. And he taught me the basic fundamentals of investing. And that has been, I mean, you think about first the negative lesson that they never save money, and then the positive lesson, teaching me the basics and fundamentals of investing. Those two things work so well together for me for the rest of my life. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Clark Howard, radio show host, TV star, and author of the new book, Clark Howard's Living Large for the Long Haul. Uh, Let's get to some of the specific areas that you address in the book and and get your advice. And first, uh, let's start with credit because there are so many people who struggle with their credit score. What are a couple of ways that people can improve their credit score? Well, there's so much misinformation about what makes up a credit score. And what really matters are the most basic of things. And I'm going to say the first one, and you're going to say, duh, who doesn't know that? And that is you pay every bill every month on time. And if everybody knows that, why don't people do it? Because that by itself makes up more than one-third of your credit score. And that when people know it, they just need to do it. But the second one people get so confused about, and that is if you, let's say you have a credit card and then you decide to get a different one. What most people do is they close the account of the first card, not realizing that's going to hurt their score, not help them. And so knowing that with credit, you want to have a lot of available credit, but use very little of it. And if you want to be a credit superstar, never use more than 10% of your available credit. What about... And at most, never use more than 30%. Because you go above 30, you're going to really start to decimate your credit score and credit standing. Uh, We are in an age now where technology is so pervasive in so many people's lives. And it used to be, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you'd have a phone bill and a cable bill. Now, people have landline phones in their homes, they have cell phones, they have uh, cable, they have Netflix, they have all these different convergences of technology. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts on how we can get sort of the best deal on technology coming into our house? Well, first, anybody older should watch what people younger are doing, because there are clear trends that are separating people who are past age 40 
from people who are under age 40. And the trends are this. People under age 40, many have never had a pay television subscription and never dream of having one. And that's an area where someone can reduce their expenses even if they on the side subscribe to Netflix or whatever else. That's $1,000 a year they're going to save if they separate themselves from pay television. Second, on the cell phones, if people will go to non-contract providers, instead of being with one of the heavily marketed contract providers, AT&T and Verizon, if they go non-contract, typical person over a year will save somewhere around $600. Family plan, people will save well over $1,000 if they go non-contract versus contract on the cell phone. Is for home phone, who needs one? I mean, really? Home phone? Ditch the thing. <laughs> and if you feel like you got to have one, I wanted to mention Straight Talk Home Phone. Is that something you're familiar with? I am not. Straight Talk Home Phone is a joint venture of Verizon Wireless and Carlos Slim, the world's wealthiest guy. And they sell this thing called Straight Talk Home Phone that is not based on having an internet line in your home. It's $15 a month for home phone service. And that includes unlimited local, long distance, call waiting, caller ID, call everything. Or look at UMA. You ever heard of UMA, O-O-M-A dot com? Uh, the only UMA I'm familiar with is Ms. Thurman. Is UMA Thurman, I know. All right, so UMA is the phone service that Consumer Reports rates as the best phone service in America. You buy an UMA device. Uh, Costco sells them for $129. You can find them at various electronic stores at different price points. You buy the UMA device, and that's your phone service for the life of UMA, however long that is. They've been around now, I guess, seven or eight years. Hopefully, they'll keep going. So you buy it, and then you port your number from your Monopoly local phone company. This sound quality on the calls is extraordinary. It's almost as if you're in the same room talking to someone. And then once you own the UMA device, your phone service bill drops to about 3 to $4 a month, depending on where you live in the country, and that's just for government pass-throughs. And it's a great, great, great service. So if you don't want the Internet thing, Straight Talk Home Phone's 15 UMA figure around four. One of the things uh, that was a very pleasant surprise uh, about your book is you've got real stories from real people across America who have saved money, who have struggled with money, and figured out ways to rebound from that. Uh, I know this is a little bit like asking a parent which is your favorite child, but of the stories in your book, do you have... Uh, do you have a favorite or two? Do you have any that uh, were yes. pleasant surprises to you? I'm going to give two extreme examples. One is a couple that was drowning in student loan debt. They had student loan debt that was in excess of $90,000. They had a reality moment and realized that they were never going to be able to pay off that debt. Never. And they took radical surgery to their family budget, and they got rid of both their cars. And just the money that cars were costing them per month allowed them to wipe out all their student loan debt in less than five years. 
Now, here's the best part. They don't live in New York, Washington, San Francisco, Boston, Chicago, any of the cities that have fantastic public transit and subway systems. They live in downstate Illinois, and they get around by bicycle. How does that work out in the winter? That's what I asked them. <laughs> and, and they said, you know, you just wrap up warm, and, you know, the roads are plowed there, and they just fight their way through it. The other interesting thing, not only do they get physically healthy, but physically the two of them are by far the healthiest they've ever been in their lives. And they feel so freed from this chokehold of death that they had. So, you know, I use them as an example because how many families are going to be willing to do that? But how many other families are there that maybe have three cars that could get by with two or two cars and could get by with one? And people don't realize that cars are the second fastest running money meter in your life. So if you can pare back your transportation costs, you open up a whole bunch of money that you can put to work in your life. So I love their story. And then the other one I love, a guy who is working in the financial sector for AIG and gets canned as AIG goes through all its problems. He's unemployed. And this financier decides to become the king of pops. And he makes healthy popsicles that are made with natural ingredients, organic, fruits, vegetables. They taste great. My favorite, banana pudding. They sell for two and a half bucks each, which chokes me up to think spending that much on it. And the guy's business is booming, and he is on the cusp of becoming not just successful, but becoming rich. He got blown out by the economy, found something he loved, went out, risked everything, and now he's going to be a very, very independently wealthy man. You mentioned that cars are number two on the money meter. What's number one on the money meter? Housing, housing, housing. You know, what people spend on housing is not related to what's required for shelter. We in modern America overinvest in housing more than any other culture on earth. Our tax laws push us that way. The, the American myth about you're not a success unless you own a home and people wanting to show off has put Americans in a position where the average size of a home is much larger than it was a generation ago and more than twice the size what it was two generations ago. And so we use too much disposable income and then face too high a level of cost for maintenance, repairs, energy, everything involved in maintaining a home because a home essentially depreciates. You know, it, it requires continual loving, upkeep, maintenance. And so if people buy a house where they chew off more than they can really afford, the indigestion for your wallet goes on and on and on. One surprising fact uh, in your book is that for the millions of people who use Amazon and shop online, one way you can get a better price on Amazon is to put it in your cart, your virtual cart there, and then abandon it. How does that work? Like, wh Or why Isn't does that, that work? Funny? 
Okay, so online merchants are getting more and more precise at understanding our behaviors. And if somebody makes it to the checkout and abandons the purchase, within minutes, you may receive a 10% off coupon from that merchant. You may receive uh, some kind of special limited time discount on that particular item because rather than have you abandoned and lost as a customer, they're willing to take a smaller markup on that sale to get you back in the house. And so there are people who do this as a shopping strategy now. They will load stuff into a cart, abandon it, and just sit back and wait to see if they do get that offer. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Clark Howard. His new book, which is available everywhere, is Living Large for the Long Haul. Consumer-tested ways to overhaul your finances, increase your savings, and get your life back on track. Uh, We've got a bunch of parents listening to the show. So uh, what's one or two things that we can teach our kids uh, about money? Kids have to understand that money is finite. I think about some of the things I've done with my children. I have three kids, and I have rewarded them when they were in elementary school by taking them with me to the supermarket, which I think is one of the best environments to teach a child the value of a dollar. And a simple example is kids automatically conditioned by advertising want this brand, that brand, the other brand as you walk around the supermarket. So what I did with all three of my children, my youngest is seven. He's aged out of this reward system. He keeps asking to go to the supermarket with me. I said, that lesson's over, Grant. But what I do is as we go around and they'll say, I want blah, blah, blah brand. I say, well, if you instead get the store brand, I'm going to split the savings with you. And they go around with me and, and they get the reward. Well, they did until they got too old. And... I condition them, it's a form of propaganda, a form of brainwashing, that there's a direct reward to your wallet based on the choices you make. That if you make smart, wise decisions, you will actually save money. I also do something else with, uh, I have a daughter who's aged out of being a teenager, one who's in the heart of her teenage years. And I will give my 14-year-old money when she's going somewhere and I always tell her keep the change the reason I do that is if I give her money to go buy something somehow she has no incentive no desire to spend as little as possible on whatever she's buying but if I tell her that money is now hers and her responsibility she rethinks oh wait a minute if I buy the three dollar one instead of the seven dollar one I get all that change to then do something else with. So it's all about using discrete purchases as a way to build incentives. And for my daughter who's now 24, when she was 15 and had her first job, what I did for her is I said, Rebecca, every dollar you save, she was working as a hostess in a restaurant, said every dollar you save from your job, I will match with a dollar, what I call the daddy match, and we'll put it in a Roth account. And my oldest, who never knew a dollar she didn't want to spend, (laughs) somehow at that job managed to save $871, which I then matched with $871 to open her Roth account. 
Now, you have a reputation of being a frugal guy. Uh, I believe you've even referred to yourself as being cheap. Um, but I'm just... I, I, I am. It's true. <laughs> um, but I'm using an app on my phone right now that every time I swipe my finger across the screen, they pay me another penny. That's how cheap I am. <laughs> um, can you give me an example of a time when you maybe went a little too far in your frugality, or if, if you can't do it, maybe share a story that someone on your team, someone from the staff of your radio show, that they that is a story that they tell amongst themselves, like, I can't believe, let me tell you about the time that Clark did this. Oh, they don't tell stories on me behind my back. They tell them <laughs> right to me and right in front of me. So the worst ever was we were in Wisconsin doing station visits. And we were in an absolute blizzard. It was us on the roads and the trucks. We had to get to uh, from Green Bay, Wisconsin, to Milwaukee for early morning appearances the next day. And we get to Milwaukee, and it is snowing like you cannot imagine. And piles of snow everywhere. And thank goodness I lived in the north for a while, or else there would have been no way I could have driven through it. So we get to our hotel in downtown Milwaukee, and I insist on finding free parking on the street because in any way I'm going to pay for parking. So my executive producer, Krista, and I are trudging through the snow. I mean, literally trudging through the snow to get the hotel. She steps down in a hole, ruins her shoes as they get waterlogged and I'm just ruined. She's so mad at me. We get to the front desk of the hotel and she asks the guy behind the counter, how much is parking here? And he said, oh, no, parking's complimentary for guests. <laughs> she has never, never let me forget that. She's rolling her eyes right now. The last time you and I talked, it was August 2011. It was, uh, we were talking about your last book. And you shared a savings tip that, at the time, I considered to be pretty extreme. And I want to revisit that advice. Um, this is about 90 seconds long, so but let's go ahead and, and run that clip. Another savings okay. tip from your book, reuse disposable razors. Yeah, I'm on the same razor since March. I, it's a 17 cent razor. And all you do is you dry the razor after you use it each time because the only thing that degrades a razor is moisture, not the act of shaving. My last razor lasted a year. And I had a uh, photo shoot this morning, and the makeup artist knew I did this with the razors, and she says that this razor's done. Her opinion was, I wasn't going to make it a year with this one. This one's only going to make it, what, five months or whatever, that I needed to bail on it. But I'm not quite ready to give up on it. I'm kind of in pain just thinking about this. I mean, I, I, I think I trade out my razor every couple of weeks. Yeah, and you're probably using one of those way overpriced multi-blade razors, right? Yes, I am. All right, so, <laughs> so, so try it my way. This is like dry an intervention. That dry that blade for uh, each time after you use it. Just dry it with the towel. Okay. See if you don't stretch that two weeks to four or six without any nicks or cuts. I bet you that I'm going to save you money because where I pay 17 cents for a blade, you're throwing away $3 a blade, and I feel really bad for you. Yeah, but I, I'm, not, I'm not cutting myself like I'm sure you are. I, ha I do not. I, as soon as I hit the point that I'm going to nick or cut, 
that blade's done. Now that may take seven or eight months for that to happen, but at that point, I'll give up on that blade. So Clark, that was two years ago, and yeah. I want to tell you that I actually did take your advice, and I'm still on the same pack of razors that I was two years ago. So I am, I, I, I mocked you at the time, and I'm here to tell you, <laughs> you were right, I was wrong, and I have saved just countless hundreds of dollars over the last couple of years just by that tip. And it, by the way, it is something I tell all of my male friends that just like, no, no, you uh, trust me, this works. So uh, uh, I've, I've... And I just saw, I got to tell you, I just saw a news report, uh, I forget what newspaper I read it in, that so many people are doing this now that it's hurting the sale of razor blades for Gillette and Schick. That the word's out, that people know you just dry them, and you can use them and use them and use them. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, uh, it's bad news for Gillette and Schick, and uh, basically, if that's, if that's your business model, I feel like this is you know, uh, almost akin to the buggy whip industry a hundred years ago, that it's, just, it's only going to get worse as more and more people learn about this. Um, and also, have you heard of Dollar Shave Club? I have, because they're commercials online are hysterical and if anyone hasn't seen them just go to youtube and type in dollar shave club they're just, but yeah i know people who do that as well and so they're taking market share as well and i understand some of the people that join dollar shave club are really stretching a buck by they'll join it for a while get a stack of blades then they suspend their membership <laughs> and they have enough blades to last them years and years and they've saved a fortune <laughs>